This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, welcome to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio with Charlie Dobbin, aided and abetted by yours truly, Dean Holland. How are you this morning, Charlie? Um, Well, Robin, to my bat person. (laughs) (laughs) You got it, bat person. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful morning, certainly where where I am. uh, Totally beautiful where I am, too. It's just a a gorgeous start to a long weekend. And um, yeah, it doesn't get any better than this. No. Uh, what is going on in uh, in your garden this week? What have you been up to? Uh, you know, what have I been up to? Um, <laughs> well, the lawn is looking really good. We have had rain, so that's a nice thing. Because we, of course, are not able to ever water our lawn. So it has required some mowing and some trimming. And the crabgrass is... Uh, it's interesting. For the first time ever, I think what happened this year, like at my house and in my neighborhood, we all used the corn gluten, which is a, a way to prevent crabgrass seeds from growing in the spring because the seeds okay. are sitting there from last year. And uh, they didn't grow. They sat there and sat there. And then when we got some rain in July, the crabgrass all started to grow. So, yes, we do have quite a few patches to deal with. I see. So it's really hard to get rid of it completely. But the corn gluten helps deter it. Yes, it's it's considered a pre-emergent, so it stops the seeds from growing. So what I'm going to do next year is I'm going to apply it twice. I'm not only going to apply it in the spring, but then in early July, I'm going to do it again. Okay, gotcha. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? Um, I, I do want to keep chatting, but I'm going to give the numbers out because we would love for you to give us a call. Uh, and you, if you want to chat about an indoor gardening thing, if you want to talk about an outdoor gardening thing, either way, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, don't be shy. Yeah, the number in Toronto, if you live in the in Toronto, uh, use the 416-360-0740 number. But if you live anywhere else in the province of Ontario, it is a toll-free number, one 866 740 Four seven forty, And we would love for you to let Carlos know if you are a first-time caller, because then Carlos will let us know, and then I will give you your garden wings. Uh, please call often, please call early, and one question per call, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so water levels are up at your place? They are. The well good. is looking pretty good. We're not uh, on severe drought uh, water saving, which is a good thing, because we have some guests coming this weekend. Actually, special guests are coming. Uh, friends... Ooh who are new to Canada. They moved here from Mexico in February. So for them, this is a whole new world, a Canadian summer. And of course, they've never been to the county. So uh, they're coming here this weekend for a visit. And it's actually, um, it's one of the workers, one of the crew, uh, when we've been doing the Healing Gardens documentary series. So it's a Ah. 
a member of the crew. He's the editor. He's the director. He does a lot of things. And uh, him and his wife are coming for a visit. So we're very much looking forward to seeing Alex and Paola here for the weekend. Nice. Well, we have a, a just a last weekend. I was up at the uh, uh, up at the cottage, which is uh, belongs to my wife's Gail's family, her uncle, and uh, their daughter has lived in Mexico for about uh, fifteen years. And wow. uh, you know, got married down there, have a couple of kids, and so the kids are bilingual and they come up here. Every time they come up here, their English is stronger and stronger all the time. But we enjoy that uh, that mix of cultures as well because they bring a lot of the Mexican culture up with them, and it's great. Well, Alex has promised he's bringing the ingredients to make guacamole, real guacamole. (laughs) And boy, did we taste some amazing guacamole when we were doing the episode. We did two episodes in Mexico. Speaking of which, I'm hoping next week I'll be able to announce when the new Healing Garden uh, episodes will be airing on Vision TV. Good. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Um, I, too, I love guacamole. So if, um, you know, once that recipe gets into your hands, you you know, <laughs> I'd be happy if you sent it my way or, you know, just better yet, sent me a batch of guacamole. So, <laughs> I'll take pictures yeah. to make it jealous. So, that. Now, speaking of which, you could, I know over the years, I've seen people, they put the toothpicks in the pits and they, and they hover it over water to grow a, to grow an avocado, is it? But would you up here, you would never get avocados out of there, out of them, would you? It would just be a plant. It's Yeah, exactly. It turns into a, a small tree, basically. Um, no, I have never seen an avocado flower or produce. Well, you've got, it's got to be of a certain age, for starters. Avocados don't bear fruit when they're little tiny plants. So you probably have to keep it for anywhere from 10 to 12 years in your house as a tropical plant, preferably in a greenhouse with tropical conditions. And then you might – it's like figs, right? People are able to get figs. Uh, but of course, um, uh, avocado is even more of a tropical as opposed mm-hmm. to subtropical tree. Excellent. You know what? I think I'm just going to go. I'm going to watch for when the avocados are a good price. I'm just going to buy them at the store. <laughs> okay. Uh, we are going to take our first break. Uh, we have some callers on the line. We will be right back with much more here on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, welcome back to the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin on Zuma Radio. And uh, Charlie, let's dive into our very first caller. We have uh, Teresa, who is calling from Mississauga. Welcome to the Garden Show, Teresa. Thank you. Good morning, uh, Dean. Good, Good morning, morning, Charlie. I have some some lavender bushes, and um, the flowers all gone brown now. When can I trim them back? Actually, um, now, anytime over the next six weeks, you could you should trim them back, give them a shearing. So okay. <laughs> depending on how big the plants are. It's, a, it's, it's quite a good size plant. It's been there a few years. Yeah, good. Well, it's like um, shearing them means taking off the flowers and also taking off about one third of this year's growth. And one you'll know third. this year's growth because last year's will be woody and, and um, quite stocky, the branches, and this year's will still be soft and, and silvery. So take off a portion of this year's growth as well as the flowers. Okay. And can I separate them now or should I wait till the spring? Uh, oh, separate them. Uh, you mean take cuttings or have you got, you can't uh, separate yeah, like a, the way you can separate a daylily. 
I, I want to, um, they're, they're, go, uh, they're quite big. I want to separate them and um, plant them in different places. Right, but but it is only one plant. You can't separate when you only have one plant. Oh, you, what you okay. Can, so what you can do is you can take cuttings, so four to six inch tip cuttings from your shrubs you have now, because each lavender is an individual plant. It's like a forsythia bush. It's just small. So it's it's not something that you separate. You can propagate with cuttings or you can buy more, but don't try digging them and uh, cutting them apart. Oh, I see. Okay. And what do I do in the spring? I cut them back even more or just leave it? No, leave it. So you're going to do your trimming in August, anytime in August or early okay. September, shearing, okay. like I mentioned, and then that's it. You sh Well, in the spring, you may have a bit of dead wood, so you'll take off anything dead. Oh, I see. Okay, very good. Okay, thank you very much. Have a nice long weekend. Thank you. You too. You too. Yeah, thanks for that question. I actually didn't know that I, I wasn't clear on that. I have a lavender bush as well. I didn't realize you can't separate them. Well, no. So, I mean, the way you know that is, well, two things. There's all different kinds of perennials out there, and a perennial is something that lives for years and years and years. So it lives mm -hmm. perennially. Yeah. Um, when your hostas or your daylilies go down for the winter, they disappear. So the root is underground, it's alive, but nothing is above ground. And that's called a herbaceous perennial. So it comes up in the spring. And when it comes up, you'll see little different growing noses, right. if you will, coming up out of the ground. Each of those are individual plants. You can dig up, you can sever uh, those um, different plants into multi multi plants. Yes. Whereas woody perennials are plants that do not disappear for the winter. So they have woody growth that stays mm -hmm. above ground. It might lose its leaves like a maple tree, or it might keep its leaves like a, a spruce tree, or it might be like a lavender, which is a semi-evergreen. <clears throat> so it does both. It and But it's, it's quite obvious all winter. It is not a herbaceous plant. So no. it's not propagated by division, only by cuttings. I see. Right. Because you can, the, the snow just piles up on top of it. And as you say, it never fully disappears. It's always no. there. And then it yeah. just sprouts new shoots, I guess, in the, that's what it looks like to me. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. So it might grow new, um, new little shoots from the bottom, you know, from the crown down at ground level. But typically we always expect a lot of new growth on the tips. Excellent. Okay. Well, happily, I can see that the phone is ringing. People are calling in. Uh, let's go to our next caller, which is Dawn. And Dawn is a uh, Dawn is a first-time caller. Welcome Good morning, to Charlie. Show, uh, hello. Good morning. Hi. Hey. Hi. Good morning. First -time uh, my, I'm Dawn. Yeah. I'm from Toronto. And uh, I'm a first-time caller. <laughs> That's you your go. wings, Dawn. Welcome. Okay. So uh, my question is, uh, I planted some chrysanthemums <clears throat> in the spring. And uh, they had a kind of, hello? Hello? No, we're here. Go ahead. Um, we're having a little confusion here, but we can hear you, Don. Oh, okay. Yeah, I uh, planted some chrysanthemums in the spring. And, uh, you know, they had a kind of pinky white flower, and um, they looked very nice. But then the flowers got kind of dead looking, and I thought I'd better trim them off. And I did that. And and now the they're growing kind of tall and spindly. And I'm not getting any flowers at all, and I'm wondering if there's a way I can uh, get them to flower again. All right. So this is interesting. So, and for sure, these are chrysanthemums. I, I believe so. Uh, I thought they were, and I I kind of Google lensed it, and it came up chrysanthemums. So, 
Oh, okay. Yeah, did, and did they have tags? Like you saw the tags in the plants when you bought them? Um, I don't really recall. Okay, but... no worries. The, the reason I bring it up is because chrysanthemums, also known as mums, are very commonly grown as a fall blooming plant, so a late summer autumn bloomer. When we purchase them at the garden center in the spring, they're usually green. Now, if they were flowering when you bought them in spring, it's because they had tricked them and forced them to bloom in the spring. So they seem like they were going to be like a great spring or summer blooming plant. But of course, their natural bloom time is is the fall. So if they're alive and they're green and they're a little spindly, uh, but you see no evidence of any little round buds on the top, which would be flower buds, uh, what I would do, you you can do this now. Are they growing in lots of sun, minimum of six yeah, hours of sun? Yeah, lots of sun. They're in full okay. sun. Okay, so that's perfect. Um, so you, what you, I would probably do right now, if you see no evidence of any little tiny flower buds on the tips of the, you know, the top of the plants or in what we call the leaf axle. So there's the stem and then the leaves come off the stem. So look closely in that little crotch between the leaves and the stems. Make sure there's no flower buds. If there's none, I would I would trim them down right now. However, next year when they come up in the spring, you'll let them come up green in the spring and you'll cut them down by half in the middle of June. And that will help them from not getting tall and spindly. That'll help them be shorter, bushier, denser, so that they will bloom and they'll be a better looking plant next summer. <clears throat> For now, okay. just work with what you've got. Okay, that's terrific. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, and remember, they will normally always be green right up until usually sometime in August, September. Okay, that's great. Thanks very, very much. Thanks for calling. Don't be okay. a stranger. Thanks for the call, Don. Yeah, it's great to have those first-time callers. Uh, we actually have a couple of other first-time callers on the line. We are going to have to take a break. Uh, give us a call. The numbers to call are 416-360-0740. That's for all our Toronto listeners. And if you live outside Toronto, anywhere else in the province of Ontario, use this number, one 866 740 We will be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, welcome back to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. Charlie and I are here, and uh, we are ready to dive into our next caller. We have somebody calling from Kitchener, and it's Patty. And Patty's a first-time caller. Welcome to The Garden Show, Patty. Thank you. I would love to give you your garden wings, okay? I'm waiting. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> what do you, um, uh, what's the weather like in Kitchener this morning? Oh, it's, it's kind of nice. It's not humid anymore, and uh, mm. it, the sun's coming through, and it's just lovely. Lovely summer day. Beautiful. 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 So what do you got for Charlie? Okay, my question is, I am so proud that this year my basil is bushy and green and healthy, except for the fact that something eats it and I cannot see what it is. What I'm saying is there's, I'll go out and there'll be the leaves and they'll be three quarters gone or um, there'll be a hole in the middle of one. And I get my magnifying glass out and I'm looking, trying to see what it is, what's taking my basil. 
huh, and so it must be happening at night, obviously, because you're, you're not seeing anything during the day. Well, that's what I'm thinking, and uh, I even move it. At one point, it, it was it's on my deck, but it was closer to a cedar hedge, and I thought, okay, I'm not going to have it there. I'll put it closer to the house. Maybe something was coming out of that, but uh, I can't find a reason. Hmm. How well do you know your neighbor? <laughs> hey, they, they were in Germany for a month. The, the, the neighbor didn't okay. do it. <laughs> well, I mean, the, okay, so two things come to mind. One is earwigs, because they'll eat anything, and they do all their eating at night. And okay. I know earwigs have had a, we've had quite a population boom of earwigs in a lot of places, a lot of parts of Ontario this year. <clears throat> so it is possible. So what you do is you sneak out at night with a flashlight and okay. you, you see once it's dark and see if you can surprise them eating. The okay. other thing that's been eating my basil, particularly my Thai basil this year are Japanese beetles, which surprises me. Now they're very obvious. You will see them. Oh, yeah. They're large, they're shiny, they look metallic yeah. uh, and they will eat basil crazily enough. Right. Well, it's not those for sure because this, Basil pot and just there's nothing in it, never a bug that I see. But I, yeah. I will try your night uh, <laughs> the flashlight. <laughs> Let's see if that works. Yeah, or and this is there <clears throat> the basil's in a pot, right? It is a ceramic pot, a big pot. It's uh, mm. got lots of earth in it, and as I say, I'm so proud this year. It's the first time it's bushy and it's green and it's it's beautiful, except for those. <laughs> Don't forget to harvest some before the bugs get it and before it all goes to flower, because it's probably due to go to flower soon. Oh, yeah. And I go out every day. And if it, all the leaves that have bites out of them or whatever, I take them all off. And then I take some nice ones for us to use. But oh, good. Hey, there's more. So I don't know. We will try yeah. the flashlight. Okay, yeah, try that. And also, do in terms of Japanese beetles, they do fly in and out. So it's one of those things where you you have to kind of look at different times of day to okay. see the Japanese beetles. Because I can go out and not see a single beetle out there, and then I can go out and find 10. So, oh. you know, it's just timing with that, too, because they, they do okay. fly around. All right, I'll do that. Thank you so much. Thanks okay. for calling. Okay, all yeah, right, yeah, thanks, thanks, Patty. Okay. Um, Charlie, to that end, uh, you uh, you received an email this week, actually, from Alice in Mount Hope about just that thing about uh, Japanese beetles. And she was speaking about a trap. So the email says, just to let you know that my husband bought a Japanese beetle trap and has caught close to 200 in it. That is a very impressive number. He has also caught some by hand, but the trap is best. Plus, he has a, and I don't know actually what this is, he has a, he has a bug assault Oh, bug assault gun. So a special spelling <laughs> and has killed 20 to 30 flies a day. It's been a good summer keeping bugs off my flowers. So, yeah, we, so I just thought I would I would bring that up since we were talking about the Japanese beetles, which can be a real pain in the patootie. Oh, no question. They do. They eat some of our most favorite plants and they're not very picky. Uh, they love linden trees. They decimate the leaves on the linden trees. They love roses. And as it turns out, they love basil, too. Uh, OK, so two things. Japanese beetle traps work really well. We know that um, they do. They're, they're based on pheromones. So the. Um, the trap is set up with a pheromone lure, and it lures in the male 
well, it smells like a female Japanese beetle. So the males all fly into the trap, attracted to the pheromone, chemical pheromone, can't get out, uh, can't mate because there's obviously no female in there to mate with, and eventually die. And when Alice says he's caught close to 200 in it, I have seen traps that are overflowing. They're so full. And we're talking hundreds. They, like, they do fill up. You do have to empty those traps. The, um, the smell of the decomposing beetles will turn off new beetles from flying in. So, again, you do have to keep those traps um, maintain them by emptying them and eventually you have to replace the lure as well however the reason i don't like these traps is because they work so well you not only attract and trap all the ones on your property but you attract and trap all the japanese beetles in your entire neighborhood oh. they all come to your place so if you are going to use a japanese beetle trap which do work really well I would avoid putting it anywhere near any of your favorite plants. Do not attract the beetles onto your property. Best case scenario, you live in a situation near a ravine, near a parking lot, near a schoolyard, somewhere where you can hang the trap off your property and let it be very, very effective somewhere else, not at your place. Right. Um, and, um, and the other thing that, that Alice mentions is this bug assault gun. Okay, bug assault gun think how that a s s a u l t anyway yeah that is a real thing bug assault bug assault uh you can go to bug assault canada and there is such a thing as a gun that you shoot salt and i guess it works really well and it makes people feel like they're commandos out uh <laughs> out shooting bad guys when they go out and it's just regular table salt and uh, somehow these things work and it's a pretty interesting website so I don't know what to say, except, um, yeah, new for me. Thanks for telling me about it, Alice. I'd never heard of that. Now, getting back to what you were saying, saying about the Japanese beetle traps, I would think that most people would be under the impression that you hang it near your garden because the beetles are coming anyway. But, wow, it sounds like they can smell that stuff from half a kilometer away. Oh, absolutely. We, we, don't, we don't realize what goes on in the natural world. We, we think... You know, humans are sort of the ultimate of everything. But uh, insects, as do plants, have they have communication abilities that we can't see or smell or read or hear, but they can. So that's the thing about pheromones. And insects are very reliant on chemical signals from uh, from to, for mating purposes. You know, you think of birds and how they attract a mate and, you know, the, the beautiful plumage and the songs and the dances and all that sort of thing. Insects have their own systems for attracting mates. Huh. Yeah, that's fascinating. I would have never thought that you would attract a whole neighborhood's worth of, of uh, beetles with a oh, trap like it's, that. it's a very effective trap, very effective lure. The, the, uh, you know, the entomologists figured out exactly what was the right pheromone to put into that trap, and they work really well. That's crazy. Wow. Okay. Uh, the numbers to call, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Let's go to our next caller, which is Evelyn, and Evelyn is calling from Toronto. Welcome to The Garden Show, Evelyn. Hi, thanks so much. Um, I was just wondering, we have a neighbor that, um, well, it's grown from our yard, dog strangling vine, um, um. and uh, I've been pulling it out, but... Is there anything you can do about that? They're horrible things. 
Yeah, it's a really horrible thing. So you've been pulling it. When you've been pulling it, have you been able to get the the roots? Sometimes, not always. <laughs> mm. It is considered an invasive species in Ontario. There's no question. It arrived in Ontario from Europe a number of years ago, and uh, it is um, you know a, a huge problem because it is just so vigorous. And they don't yeah. call it dog strangling vine for nothing. It is a, a, it grows so fast, it's almost like it, while your dog's having a nap, it can get strangled by this crazy, crazy vine. So if you, there's a great website, invadingspecies.com. So one word, invadingspecies.com. Dog strangling vine is definitely on the website. A uh, little bit of background where you'll find it, the impacts, how to identify and what you can do. So first of all, make sure you're identifying it properly because uh, you certainly don't want to spread it around. Uh, you don't want to keep it if it's a you know a problem. It, right. You said it came from your neighbors, you think? No, no, I think it, well, I think it's from our place actually. Um, so it was, uh, we have a chain link fence back property that's near parking lot. So they always were there. They're like like a like a pea pod almost, a thin uh, looking pea pod. Uh, yeah. So I've been dealing with that for years, uh, and then suddenly now it was at, at the side of our shared fence. So I I think it's mine actually. I, I was able to pull it out from mine. It it got entangled in the day leaf of all things and climbed yeah. onto the fence. Uh, is there anything like we had a vinegar spray in the nearly spring? Is, does it respond to that or not really? Well, not just a regular vinegar that you use on your French fries vinegar. No, you need no, a no. much more uh, highly concentrated vinegar. So yeah, it's called a- horticultural vinegar. Yeah. You're also very, um, uh, what's the word, sort of able to access Roundup to try and eliminate this invasive plant. Roundup is available in garden centers and home stores under lock and key. It is allowed to be used for noxious or invasive species. Noxious, an example would be poison ivy. Uh, Certainly dog strangling vine is something you could use Roundup on. Now, I would start, obviously, in in the parking lot and spring you're right yeah. is the time to do it when the plant is young the leaves are young at this time of year your main thing is do not let it go to flower do not let it set seeds uh and do not compost it on your property make sure when you are collecting any parts of this plant goes into you know the either into the garbage uh, to the landfill preferably it goes to the you know municipal composting that the city does Okay. And the city wouldn't, well, it's not on city property, so I guess they wouldn't do anything about it. So I'll get some Roundup, and I guess I'd have to be careful how I, where I, how I spray that too, right? Yeah, I mean, Roundup is, a, is an interesting herbicide. It's non-selective. Remember, when you spray anything green with uh-huh. Roundup, it should die. Uh, including your your favorite plants. So obviously be very careful. If it is intermixed with some of your favorite plants, you're going to have to dig those up, try and separate out the dog strangling vine, uh, and then replant your plants. And again, get rid of the actual, you know, the invasive vine. 
uh, or just kill it all. Um, and best time is always the spring. You'll mix the Roundup according to instructions or you'll buy it already pre-mixed. And th there are good instructions on there. I can tell you it's most effective on a hot, sunny day. Any okay. herbicide will be will kill at a much higher level if you're spraying it in the heat and the sun at high noon. So if it is in a sunny location, that's a, another uh, opportunity to use the herbicide and, and really make sure you're killing what you're trying to kill. So at this time of year, I should just dig it out and then wait until next spring? If you can dig it out, do it. Uh, keep an eye for next spring if you see any of it coming up. And and like I said, go make sure you know what it is. Check it on the web. Make sure you're you know you're killing the right thing. You're digging up the right thing. And if for now you're seeing any flowers or any little pods, little you know that's what it produces its seeds and little tiny pods. Make sure those are not allowed to stay on the plant at this time of year. And can I spray now at, at all, or is it too late? Sure. You can try. I think you'll find it'll be more effective in the spring, but it certainly is worth a try now. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I have to tell you, we planted our cats around. It's beautiful. I'll send you a picture. Sweet. Good to hear. Glad you did. It's a lovely plant. It really is beautiful. Thank you so much. Have a great long weekend, guys. Thank you. you too. Thank you so much for the call, Evelyn. Um, I uh, a quick update, Charlie. Before we go to our, uh, we'll go to a break very sh uh, in a second. I'll give the numbers out again. I can see the phone is ringing. People are. This is a, this is a really good gardening time of the year. This is kind of in the middle, right? Like we're not ready to put stuff to bed yet, but oh. it's. But of course, we're um, we're we're not doing all the early stuff as well. This is kind of a, is it a little bit more chill this time of the year? Yeah, totally. This is hammock yeah. time. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> That's a great idea, this is, hammock. This is a nice cold beer, lying in the hammock. Oh. This is a really good time to really stand back and do some analysis on your garden. Okay. Take some photos, make some notes, right? Because you'll forget, right? So, so now's the time to really say, okay, this is really working or this really isn't working. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, I have daylilies in a part of my garden that I'm going to move them from. Uh, so I'm not doing it now because it's still a little too too hot in terms of moving plants. But in the next two weeks, I'll be digging up daylilies and scattering them to different areas of my garden. So, you know, it's real. It's, it's analysis time. It's also a time to plant some seeds. If you want a fall harvest, you know, this is we don't always we think spring is for seed growing. But, you know, this is this is the time we can we can plant broccoli, carrots, parsnips, beets, any of the cool weather plants, right? Chard, cauliflower, even radishes, lettuce, things that grow quickly can be planted now. Fabulous. Okay. I can see that there are callers on the line and there are callers coming in. So we are going to take a short break, but we will be right back with much more here on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. You do have The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Yes, every Saturday from 9 till 10. It is such a treat. And you've been doing this a long time now, Charlie, right? I mean, this is nearing a couple of decades for you, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, talk about aging me. Isn't it? Oh, I think <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I did, for three years, I did the garden show on CHML. No. Yeah, CHML in Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, so for three years, I did a two-hour garden show, uh, which was sponsored by Terra Greenhouses. And then I was hired by AM740. So that was 
I'd have to look back. It's been a while. It's probably been 15 years. Sweet. I could I could tell you for sure though. I've got my original contract. <laughs> Dude, I can't imagine how many you know uh, Amaryllis questions you've had come through. The- <laughs> and I and I say that because my segue is that last week I I reminded myself on air that I had I had neglected to put it outside. And right after the show, I went and I put my Amaryllis outside, you know, to do that photosynthesis. And the the bulb is still hard. And so I just want to make sure that it gets all, you know, fed and recharged up for the uh, for the the winter. Well, exactly. They do need to be out in the green. OK, just because I'm here in my office. Yeah. I, uh, July 4th, 2008 is uh, my first contract. So that's 15 years ago. Wow. Look at that. Woohoo. Yeah, ah, that's great. And um, and the college just keep coming in. And we have a few on the line now where our first one we're going to go to is Sharon. And Sharon is calling from Gravenhurst. Welcome to the Garden Show, Sharon. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, what I'm phoning about, this is the second year I've tried to grow morning glories. They're in a 24-inch pot on my deck, and I'm getting beautiful vines, but last year and this, I don't have any flowers. You know why? Because you're too good of a mother. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> stop. Just stop watering them. Oh, Okay. Yeah, and you've probably got them in beautiful soil, and you've been fertilizing, and you're ending up with lots of leaves. So oh, morning leaves. glory are one of those plants that respond very well to uh, environmental stress. So they want to be hot, they want to be dry, they want to be sunny, and don't fertilize, and yeah, stop watering so much. And they'll flower. Okay. Uh, would they, <laughs> would it uh, flower this year, or is it too late? Oh, no, they should flower this year. You know, you're getting good heat still, and they're in lots of sun. You should get flowers. And remember, they are you know, morning only. You see flowers, so make sure you're out of bed to catch them You know, at 7 a.m. because that's when they'll be blooming. Okay, great. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the call there, Sharon. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you mentioned fertilizer, Charlie. Yes. Um, it, do we? Is there a point in the season where we stop fertilizing, or should we just do it right through to the fall? When do we? You know, we talk a lot about it on the show. Yeah, we do. I think everybody needs to just remember that we fertilize actively growing plants. So, who is who and what is actively growing when is when we fertilize. So, a good example would be Christmas cactus. They bloom around Christmas. So it makes sense to fertilize them when they're blooming or right after they've bloomed, but not the rest of the year. And right now at this time of year, of course, in the spring, everything's growing outside. So we fertilize everything in the spring. But but now the days are getting shorter, like noticeably shorter at my place. The evening darkness is coming earlier and it's darker in the mornings. So we know that the plants are slowing down. They're getting ready for winter. They are not actively growing. So the old, so we stop fertilizing at the end of July or now, first week of August, no more fertilizer anywhere outside except, there's always an exception, you will be, we'll all be fertilizing our lawns in the fall. So there's the fall fertilizing of the lawns. So hold that for, you know, September, October. And at this time of year, continue to fertilize your annual plants, your vegetables, you know, your annual vegetables, your annual flowers, uh, other than your morning glories or your nasturtiums. Don't, don't fertilize those. Some plants don't, you know, don't 
I mean, they perform beautifully with fertilizer, but they're not, she's not getting the flowers up in Gravenhurst that she's looking for. So fertilize your annual flowers, your annual vegetables, and in the future, we're going to fertilize our lawns. But no more fertilizer for trees, shrubs, you know, lavender. Nope, no more fertilizer. Okay, fair enough. Okay, let's go to uh, our next caller, uh, Tom. Tom's calling from Buffalo. Welcome to the Garden Show, Tom. Uh, good morning to you, um, I have a uh, I have a knockout rose uh, standard, and last year it flowered all summer long. This year, it flowered about I think it was the last week of May or the first week of June when we had that real hot weather, and it hasn't flowered since then. Nothing at all. It's just all the old. I mean, the whole thing got covered with flowers with, with that real hot nice. weather. They haven't haven't had anything since then. Uh, so did you, right now, it's very green, lots of green leaves? And, uh, there's green leaves, but some are not real green. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're wheat green. <laughs> okay, pale, yeah. Okay, so is this plant yeah. in a pot? No, it's in the ground. It's in the ground. And so it looked really, really good, as it should have, back in June. Have you fertilized this plant at all? I've never fertilized it, no. Okay, so write in your calendar that next spring, whenever spring comes, might be April, might be May, you are going to use a rose food on that plant, and that will encourage not only a first flush of blooms, but more blooms. Roses are what we consider heavy feeders. I would not fertilize it now because now is it's too late, but it's a, for spring and summer, yes, that plant does need fertilizer. The other thing is, when after it finished flowering, what did you do? Did you trim off the flowers, or are the the um, the fruits, the rose hips, still there? They're, they're all still there. Right. So that's the but other reason no, it hasn't bloomed again. But there's no <clears throat> there's no new growth on uh, of of leaves either coming on. Okay. Uh, well. Okay. So. For now, I wouldn't do anything. You see, right. with roses, as I said, you, they're heavy feeders, so we fertilize them. But number two, we deadhead them if we want them to keep blooming. If you don't deadhead your roses, then it's not a bad thing. You just end up with the, the little fruits called rose hips. And they're quite right. pretty. Uh, they give you lots of fall color and the birds love them so the birds will eat the rose hips they're full of vitamin c so for now just just work with what you've got make sure it is um you know not are you getting the same kind of rain in buffalo that uh, you i think you are that ontario has been getting consistent rain this summer not a real lot no way so i don't fertilize sorry i don't water roses very often uh, when it's nice and hot and sunny, it's good. This plant, I assume, is in full sun. Uh, so, yes, yep. when you water, you water thoroughly. Technically, the rose needs about an inch of water every week. So okay. fertilizer, right. water, trimming, and deadheading next year. For now, just let it go into the winter. Let it do its thing. And then next spring, you'll you'll just do whatever trimming of dead material that you'll need to do in the spring and other than that it's uh, it's enjoy it fertilize it and deadhead after it's finished flowering next year all righty well what well, was such a surprise that it flowered all summer last year and all all, all through the whole summer there was flowers on it but yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give that a shout out with the fertilizer um okay. i have a little 
I have a little tip about um, uh, Japanese beetles. If people uh-huh. go out early in the morning, before 8 o'clock in the morning, they won't fly away. You can mm-hmm. just pick them right off and put them on the ground and step on them. Crawl, <laughs> pick and squish. But they won't fly. Absolutely. Thanks, but you're right. Japanese beetles are very slow moving and pretty easy to to pick and squish. Yep. Okay. Well, th- thanks for that tip, Tom. <laughs> it cre- created a a wonderful visual in my head. Pick and squish. <laughs> there you go. No, a good tip. I guess they're a bit dopier in the morning, are they? Just a little bit slower moving. I think so. Yeah. Later in the day, if you if you pick them off and then you try and drop them on the ground, they'll fly. Oh, I, see. I think early in the morning. And, you know, it's probably more temperature. Insects mm. uh, are very active in the warmth and not so active in the cool. And, of course, our mornings are getting quite a bit cooler now. So they're very sluggish in the morning. Okay, there you go. Grab your coffee in the morning, go out in the garden and pick and squish. There you go. Pick and squish, gulp. Pick and squish, gulp. There you go. <laughs> okay, uh, time for us to take our final break. Uh, we do have, uh, yeah, we have a little bit more time for some more questions. So uh, give us a call. We'll be right back with much more on the Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, stalks, hollyhocks, tulips, and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Oh, yes, we are back here on The Garden Show, and I was chuckling during that break because, of course, you forwarded me an email. Alice in Mount Hope sent a picture of the uh, the bug-ass salt gun where you shoot salt at flies. And I could have used one in my studio today, ironically, because I got one stupid fly that keeps buzzing around my face the whole show today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know how it works. I mean, are, are you ending up shooting salt all over the place when you, well, when you like, shoot? I don't know. I don't know. It's maybe. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it must maybe be a little bit. But I, I, I Alice's husband's having some fun this year killing yeah. nasty bugs like flies and Japanese beetles. Yeah, I mean, I could see it more outside because then it doesn't matter if the salt goes around. But maybe, yeah. you know, but inside, yeah, you'd be pick, you'd be sweeping up salt all day, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it sounds hilarious to me. Um, okay, let's go to Michael in Etobicoke. Welcome to the Garden Show, Michael. Uh, good morning, Dean and Charlie. Good to speak with you. Um, uh, I've got a follow-up comment and a question. Uh, a few weeks I called back about uh, some uh, work that I had done that required a lot of mature plant material to be lifted up, and I called about a red bud. You said uh, after defoliation, wait, be patient, and I can tell you after about three weeks, it's re-sprouting leaves. So I thank you for your advice. I thought it was a goner, and uh, it's, uh, you know, it's about six feet high, and it's coming back in leaf, not fully, but partially. So I wanted to give you that feedback. It was very worthwhile being perseverant. Now, further to the work, the question is, I had a massive amounts of uh, mulch brought in, just natural cedar mulch. And in some cases, it's near or around rhododendrons, which I've mounded with um, soft pine needles. Will that cedar mulch be detrimental to the rhododendrons? Like I have like quite some of them are quite mature, like 15 years, you know, old, you know, seven feet high and so on. But I had to do it to keep down mud and soil erosion. Yeah. Okay, so no, the cedar mulch will not be detrimental. Um, Keep in mind, so pine needles are brilliant because often people don't know what to do with all the 
the fallen needles beneath their pine trees and they get frustrated because there's so many. But it's pine needles are an excellent mulch around rhododendrons. They decompose very slowly. And as they do, they not only add organic matter, but they add um, nice acid to the soil, keeping it at a low pH for happy rhododendrons. Make sure you never have any of these mulches touching the stems of the plant, including the you know the, the trunks of the rhododendrons. So your mulch is two to four inches deep all over the roots, over the soil, around all your plants, but never touching the stems. But not so if touching you've got the stems. Pine needles now. I guess is your your question is should you put cedar mulch on top of that? Well, it's really like around because the, a, a huge swaths. Uh, you know, it was a waterproofing project, so huge swaths of garden were unearthed, and that's why I had massive just bare earth, whereas previously it was all kinds of plant material. So to keep it, everything under control, I had like large amounts of mulch. And they thought that would be the most effective. But then I was concerned if the cedar mulch would do something with the soil pH that would be to the detriment of the rhododendrons. Oh, not at all. No, because cedar, remember, is uh, similar to a pine needle. Cedar bark will slowly decompose and, again, will help acidify the soil. So, no, it will not be detrimental to the rhododendrons at all. Okay. Oh, no, that's, that's excellent because I've got it's quite a bit of remedial work yet to do. But I really wanted to give you the feedback, too, on the red bud. It really yeah. did come back with a little bit of nurturing and extra watering. So I want to thank you very much for that advice. And anybody listening, be patient. The plants can come back. <laughs> very good point. Thanks for, the, thanks for the update, Michael. Great. Yeah, thanks very much, Michael. You've rem- Michael's reminded me of, a, of something that uh, we, we've talked about, my, uh, my clematis that I moved, and I'm having to exercise patience because I did cut it down. Maybe I cut it down too late this year. Maybe I cut it down too far. Um, I, it, it, it is growing, but I certainly did not get any blooms whatsoever. I think I need to, um, I need to be patient for another year because I know that um, they need a couple of years sometimes to establish, so I'm not going to move it again. Yeah, so it's like any plant, first things are roots. So, you know, when I, I remember back in my retail days, people getting frustrated. They'd take home a rose, plant it, and say, it's just sitting there. It's not doing anything. There's no flowers. And I'd say, but is it green? And they'd say, yes. And I'd say, don't worry about it. It's growing roots. You can't see what's going on. Let those roots grow. That's what established means. So, yes, yes. patience, patience. Yeah, it, it definitely has been growing back, but I'm so I'm just enjoying the fact that it's still alive and I didn't kill it and um, and just and hopeful for years to come. And you will next year or this fall add some organic matter around all your gardens. Remember, half an inch a year minimum. Yes. Good, OK. Good quality organic material. So it uh, looks like we're at, the, we're at the end of the racetrack here, Dean. So thank yeah. you. Thanks for being my, my Robin. And uh, thanks, Carlos. Couldn't do any of this without Carlos. And thanks to all the great callers. Have a great long weekend, and we'll see you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.